Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Today we come together on this All Saints Day. In a little while we will be taking some time during the prayer of the church to remember and give thanks for all of those who are near and dear to us, our families, our brothers and sisters in Christ here in this congregation, who have been called home before our Lord and who now stand before the throne of God. It is time for us to pause and give reflection on that. And not only on the gift of life and salvation he has bestowed upon our loved ones, but also for that which he has given to us. As John was caught up in the vision which he had on the island of Patmos, as he was given to see that which is for no mortal eye to see, this side of our Lord's return, he wrote down a vision that in many ways has been one of the probably most known parts of Scripture, for better or for worse, which so often is misunderstood and misinterpreted to bring fear and trepidation, but which, when rightly understood, and rightly taken to heart and rightly read is about comfort. For we who are in the midst of the great tribulation, we who are still in a fallen world, to know that we have help, an ever-present help. Early on in the vision, it was really about, I should actually say about halfway through the vision, there's this great pause. John has seen the first tribulation coming down, a tribulation which reflects back to the fall of Adam and Eve. And he sees what our Lord sees of his people who are in the midst of that tribulation, a multitude before the throne. Begins by him seeing the sealing of the people of Israel, the 144,000, 12,000 for each tribe, which on occasion has been taken to be a literal number as if there's only going to be 144,000 Israelites, even, who are before the throne of God and no other. John, as he's writing his, his vision and trying to take what he sees, the wonders of our Lord's kingdom itself, the heavens of heavens, before the throne of God, and translated into words which are of a fallen mortal world, oftentimes uses pictures. In fact, many times. And one of those pictures is numbers. This 144,000 is a number which reflects a perfect number, representing the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 disciples. When you multiply that together, you get 144. And 10, which is the perfect number taken to its, triple, to its cube. What he's seeing is all of the church, old and new, that which was before our Lord's first advent and that which is after, gathered before the throne. Unless we get caught up in that number and thinking it's somehow literal, John describes exactly what he saw. And after this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number. It's as if under inspiration God knew people would take that number too literally. Of course, God indeed knew that. So right here in the text, immediately we see the truth. We see what he intended with that number. 
And not only the Israelites, not only those who are blood descendants of Abraham, but ones who are from every tribe, every nation, every people, and every tongue or language. Salvation is not exclusive. Salvation is a gift. Our Lord's paid for the sins of all. Yes, sadly, many rejected and many will not receive the benefit of that gift. And for this reason, we go out and we take the word. We go out and share the light of Christ. That's why we are called to go forth and make disciples of all nations. To be ready to give a defense. But we can take heart in knowing there is not an exclusion based on who you are, based on what nation you're from, based on who you were born to. The word of God comes. And with the word comes the Spirit, and the Spirit creates faith when and where the Lord pleases. For those who trust in the Lord, they receive the gift which is given to all people. But who are these who he sees, this countless multitude, the ones who cannot be numbered, who are wearing white robes before the throne of God? They come out of the Great Tribulation. Again, this is one of those things which has often been misinterpreted. About a, the scriptures talk about in Revelation describes it as being seven years. Daniel portrays it as being the was that twenty one thousand days, twenty one hundred days. Uh, and as we consider what that means, it's not something in the future. It's not a seven years where the world will be so horrible. It's something we are actually in right now. The seven-year tribulation, again, is symbolic, talking about the, the time where we are in this fallen world. The tribulation which came about by Adam's sin and which will finally, once and for all, be laid to rest when our Lord returns again. He's already paid the price. He's already fixed what was wrong. He is yet waiting for the full number of the elect to come to faith, and then he will return. Three and a half years represents the Old Testament. Three and a half years represents the New Testament church. And here we are in the midst of it. We are struggling through it. We are facing the tribulations, the temptations, the sins of this world, the brokenness, the fallenness. Yet there are those who wear white robes. that have been washed in the blood of Christ. John's talking about the baptized, talking about the ones who have come to this font, a font where the waters are poured over us and where the blessing of God, the word of God, proclaims us to be and makes us his children. I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We are washed with water. And that water cleanses us in the blood of Christ. United with Christ in his death, we are also united in his resurrection. We stand before the judgment seat not on account of our sins, but on account of his righteousness. His robe of righteousness, his blood covers us, and it washes us and makes us white. We are washed in the price that was paid. He who shed his blood on the cross of Calvary for you and for me and for the world, who took upon himself the sins of all and endured the judgment for all in our place. Isaiah looked forward to that day, 
to the suffering servant would be stricken, smitten, and afflicted, by whose sins, by whose, by whose suffering we would be healed. And so it was that the Lord proclaimed to Isaiah, though your skins, though your sins are scarlet, they shall be white as snow. We can even reflect on only how a couple of weeks ago we saw what this looks like. How despite the fact we're still in construction season and everything is seems in disarray around here when that snow first comes and covers everything, you might not like the thought of snow this early, but consider how it looks. The dirt and the grime is covered up, snow sparkles. We were reflecting that night how even the night glows with the reflection of the snow. It brightens everything. And now, as we consider those who have gone before us, those who we miss, those who we cherish, those who have died in the faith, we take heart. God shelters them by his presence. Like us, they are still waiting for the great resurrection. They are still waiting to be called forth from the tombs. And in a way that we can't comprehend, their souls are before the Lord. They enjoy his presence. They are at peace. John, or the, the, the Spirit tells John what they shall be. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living waters. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. So often we know the struggles of those who have gone before us. Maybe especially the struggles they had at the very end. Those days and weeks and months before our Lord called them home. Sometimes it's completely unexpected and we didn't know maybe struggles they had or they didn't have any struggles beyond the ordinary. But we know that for them, they are at peace. For them, there is no more sin. For them, there is no more sorrow. There's no more pain. There's no more loss. They receive from the Lord all his good gifts, and their tribulation is over. As we consider the purpose of this vision, first and foremost, it is to bring this comfort to us about those who have gone before us. Whether it was because they were called home at the end of their lives after 70, 80, 90 years, or whether their lives were cut short because of the sin and tragedies of this age, whether they were martyred, whether they were killed, whether it was by accident, man-made or natural, as we might say, for them, they are at peace. Their good shepherd guides and keeps them, bringing them to the green pastures and still waters. And the Father himself wipes away every tear from their eyes. And yet there's something more to this vision. Because as we consider where it is in the vision of Revelation, it's not at the end, which is about what is to come after our Lord's return. It is in the middle, it is in the midst, while the tribulations are still going on. And the incredible thing about what John saw there is that he didn't simply see the church before the throne. For there are not two churches. There is not a church in heaven and a church on earth. There is one church in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. When we gather at this altar, 
to receive his body and blood, we are not simply partaking in part of what comes to us. We are going before the throne. We are with the Lord. We are partaking of the one supper which all churches, which all people in Christ partake of at once. The meal which is before us is but, it is where we enter into heaven itself. And though we can't see it, we are before the throne. The Lord himself is guarding us and guiding us and for our sins and for our struggles. The Father himself is wiping away every tear as he brings us forgiveness and life anew. The reality is that those who are clothed in the white robes of Christ are not only the ones who are in heaven in the kingdom of glory, but it is us as well. We stand before the throne. We serve our God. We stand redeemed. We might wonder how it is that we do not hunger or thirst anymore, for truly we do. And so we remember that the promises of God, especially as we deal with them in this age, are best understood as a now and not yet. Right now, you are clothed in the robes of Christ. Right now, you are forgiven. Right now, God is guiding you and keeping you. Right now, we serve our Lord before his throne day and night. And yet, for the sake of those who have not heard, we endure the tribulation. It's why it's called bearing our cross. Because just as Christ suffered in this world so that he could save the world, we suffer in this world so that we can bring that message of life to others. So that when the end approaches, they too can have the comfort we have. Knowing that even as we endure this tribulation, it is but for a moment. That soon shall come the day when we will hear the trumpet sound, the voice of our Lord call forth. And all shall be raised. And if it should be that our natural life will end before that moment, we know that for us it is but falling asleep in the arms of our Lord, that we, too, abide in his presence. Not that we will abide in his presence, but that we continue to abide in his presence even in death, because there we have the life of Christ. Let us remember those who have gone before us, and give thanks. And let us be at peace. For our good shepherd never forsakes us nor abandons us. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. For he leads me to green pastures and still waters. He anoints my head with oil. And surely I shall endure in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. We rise. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.